Good morning. This morning was, of course, supposed to be our first Sunday with our children ages three through six, uh, where they would stay with us in the auditorium uh, because Children's Church wasn't meeting. But I guess the last three Sundays have been all that way for us, right? And so to all my kids, ages three through six, that would normally be going to Children's Church, we're so glad that you're with us as we learn about Jesus. There's really not that much different uh, between the sermon in here and Children's Church. We're all just looking to learn about Jesus from the Bible. And so let us remember our class rules from Children's Church. One, let's have a calm body, so no touching your brothers and sisters. Um, Let's be ready to listen, so our eyes are on uh, the screen and our ears are attentive. Let's be ready to learn. Let's be paying attention to what's happening, right, and listening. And let's be ready to love. That means not sort of distracting our, uh, our other siblings or our parents from hearing the Word of God. So it's so great for you guys to be with us uh, this morning. Uh, And we're in Joshua 2. So if you would turn with me, we're reading the whole chapter. Uh, It's the story about Rahab and the spies. And if you remember, Dr. Silvernail preached on this very passage back in September. If you're interested in some of the more technical details of the passage, I encourage you to go back and listen to that sermon. But this morning, we're going to be focusing on the story itself. Uh, and the lessons it teaches us about God's grace and its control over all things. And so we're going to be looking at some of the big picture themes and try to avoid so many of the debates around secondary issues. So let's read Joshua chapter 2, verses 1 through 24. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I did not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords. And the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, Our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them. And deliver our lives from death. 
And the men said to her, Our lives for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city walls, so she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go on your way. The men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his, on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun. And they told him all that had happened to them. And they said to Joshua, truly, the Lord has given all the land into our hands. And also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this story that highlights your sovereignty and your grace. Lord, would you remind us of those great truths of the fact that you're in control and that you are for us this morning. Teach us from your word, we pray. Change us, transform us into the likeness of your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. So, let's imagine a scene together. I'm a spy, and I've woken up to find myself handcuffed to a pole of some sort uh, in an industrial basement. Uh, So this can't be good. In walks a beautiful woman and a gang of four burly henchmen. And one of the men opens a case filled with shiny metal tools that twinkle their promise of pain and suffering. Things look pretty bad. I've been captured, obviously. And they're going to do some pretty mean things to me to figure out who I am, who I work for, and what I know. And then suddenly... I lock eyes with this mysterious woman who then tosses me the keys to my cuffs and time seems to slow down as everyone is caught by surprise. And then she's a blur of motion, fighting seemingly everyone at the same time. I eventually get the cuffs off and join the fray and fists and kicks fly in a wild melee. But between the two of us, we manage to defeat everyone. We've never met before, right? There's a pounding on the door that tells me that I'm still in danger. There are more bad guys just outside. Follow me. And off we go, following this mysterious friend. But then all of a sudden, she closes a gate behind me, cutting off for her escape. There are so many questions. What are you doing? Who are you? Why did you help me? Why are you staying behind? Will you be safe? What's going to happen next? I don't understand anything. By now, you've probably guessed uh, that this is from a movie. 
It's from Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, and it mirrors the high stakes, high intensity drama and surprises of the first seven verses of our passage today. So let's put ourselves in the spy's shoes. They've come into this enemy city, just the two of them, surrounded on all sides by the enemy. And they know that the city has been gearing up to fight, and so they find an inn to blend in with other travelers entering the city. The danger and anxiety must have been enormous. And then the woman running the inn hustles them onto their roof among the stalks of flax. And just in time, too, because there's a knock at her door. Can you imagine the spies' horror when they hear the soldiers demand for Rahab to give them up? What thoughts must have raced through their minds? How did this happen? We just got here. How did we get out of this? We are so dead. Is this God's way of telling Joshua and us that we're going to fail to conquer the promised land? How is God going to fix this? But just like in Rogue Nation, something unexpected happened. A surprise friend in the midst of enemies. And as these spies hid on the roof, you can almost feel, feel their astonishment at this Canaanite woman who was betraying everything that she had ever known to save a couple of strangers. She had given everything. She had everything to gain to, by selling them out. And yet she was losing everything for them. Who is this woman? Why did she help us? What's going to happen next? How are we going to get out of the city now that the gates are shut? What's going to happen to her and to her family when the king finds out that she betrayed them? What's God doing in all of this? I simply don't understand what's going on. I don't understand anything. So many questions demanding answers. And that last one, what's God doing in all of this, is the most important question. You see, God's sovereign hand is painfully obvious to everyone, to the spies, to Rahab, to the ancient readers of, of Joshua, and to us. And it's obvious in the same way that would be obvious several hundred years later in the events of the book of Esther. So how can we see God working behind the scenes to make everything unfold just the way he wants? Well, how many places were there to stay that night in Jericho? There were a lot. And the spies just happened to pick the one house with the one person in the whole city willing to protect them? Uh, no. The spies didn't just happen to pick this particular house on this particular night with this particular person to spend the night in. God sent them to this particular house. More specifically, God sent them to this particular woman. But God's sovereignty didn't just start working when the spies entered Jericho. It didn't just start working to preserve their life. Instead, God had been working mightily to prepare for this moment for a long, long time. And that's driven home in the next paragraph. Look what Rahab said in verses 9 to 11. And she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came up out of Egypt and that you and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sihon and to Og whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, 
he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. So kids, remember all those stories about the great plagues that God sent to Pharaoh to let my people go? Remember the story of God parting the Red Sea so that the Israelites could escape the army of Pharaoh. And then there are the less well-known stories about the two powerful kings, Sihon and Og, that were completely destroyed by the Israelites while they wandered in the desert. Those same stories instilled a fear into the hearts and the minds of the Canaanites. So even before the spies arrived, even before people were on the banks of the Jordan ready to cross into the promised land, God was working in the hearts of the Canaanites to produce fear and to destroy their fighting spirit. Even before this generation of Israelites had uh, come to the edge of the promised land, God was already using the power of the word of his deeds to prepare the way. So do you see how God was orchestrating all of this? He had to work far in advance to melt the hearts of the Canaanites. He had to work far in advance to open the eyes of Rahab's heart to make her ready to betray her own people. And then he had to put the spies and Rahab together. And then he showed that he was the one who would be doing all of the delivering. After all, the spies didn't do anything at all. They arrived and were promptly found out. So much for the scouting mission. Their intelligence, in fact, Their report comes straight from God's agent, Rahab. And they couldn't protect themselves either. God did that too. And so God is literally doing everything. And all of that points to God's sovereign will unfolding on behalf of the Israelites. God was in control and had a plan. And just as importantly, God wouldn't just fight for them in the future, but he was already fighting for them. But all that sovereignty and planning wasn't just meant to prepare the way for the invasion of the promised land. That sovereignty takes a surprising turn in that it showcases God's grace highlighted in the person of Rahab. So let's look at Rahab. Remember that Rahab is a Canaanite woman of ill repute. The Canaanites were a wildly sinful people which is why God is going to devote every last one of them to destruction. And we would normally look upon a woman like Rahab as someone who lived a profoundly sinful life. Her profession was sinful. Her culture was sinful. Everything about her was sinful. And yet Rahab not only hid the spies and committed treason by betraying everything she ever knew, but she also confessed a true faith. So remember how I said that the spies, the spies were surprised that Rahab was uh, protecting them and was helping them. The biggest surprise wasn't that she was helping them. No, the bigger surprise was that she was able to articulate a clear view of the Lord. Can you imagine their surprise when Rahab, the Canaanite, confessed, For the Lord your God, He is the God in the heavens above and the earth beneath. This was a polytheist, a pagan woman whose whole life revolved around sin. And this woman was saying that the only God is the God of Israel. That's a huge change. And more than that, she she somehow knew the covenantal name of the Lord. Four times in verses 9 through 12, she says it four times, once a verse. 
Rahab, a Canaanite, used the covenantal name of the Lord. This is a special name. It was a name that invoked the ideas of faithfulness and possession. Rahab is claiming that she knew something about God personally and intimately, and that this God was her God. Rahab was the last person we would have picked to be God's agent inside of Jericho. She would have been the last person we would have picked to be the object of God's saving grace. In our eyes, she was simply too sinful. She was too entrenched in her sin. There was no way that she was ever going to turn to the Lord. But thanks be to God that it was never up to Rahab. It's never about a person turning to the Lord, but the Lord transforming sinners. Again, God was the one doing the work, just like he was doing to prepare the land for conquest. He, in fact, was preparing her for conquest by his Spirit. What profound grace was given to Rahab, and it all came in the context of God's sovereign plan. Remember, Rahab heard all the same stories about God's mighty works on behalf of the Israelites. She had the same fear of destruction growing in her heart as her countrymen. But to Rahab alone, God gave the understanding to see what those mighty works pointed to. It wasn't just that a mighty power was coming for them, that was coming to destroy them, but that the God behind those great works was the only God and sovereign over all things. And so God opened the eyes of her heart to him and created faith within her. And that faith was demonstrated and proved to be genuine through both her works and her actions. So both the books of Hebrews and James commend her as a hero of the faith for what she did and what she confessed. And so God's grace to Rahab was complete and total. And interestingly, it didn't just mean saving her spiritually. It also involved saving her physically too. So instead of a scouting mission for the spies, it was really actually more of a rescue mission. The spies didn't really do any scouting, remember. Rather, they were there specifically to meet Rahab. God had set his love upon Rahab from eternity past. And so he used his spies to find Rahab and promise her and her family safety and kindness before the fighting even began. But God's grace isn't just about saving you from sin. It isn't just about saving you from danger and preserving your life. It's about saving you to something as well. It's the abundant glory of God's grace and His plan that we are saved from sin and death to adoption as children of God. Rahab wasn't just saved from death alongside the people of Jericho. No, she was brought into the covenant community. She became part of us instead of being held at arm's length as a second class of them. And that's important because her life would be notable in the history of Israel. She would bear and raise one of the godliest men in, in the Bible in Boaz. And she would be counted in the lineage of Jesus. Matthew chapter 1 starts with a genealogy. And it only really mentions two. And of course, this is the genealogy of Christ. There's two women in that genealogy. Ruth is one of them, which is wild in and of itself, but that's another sermon, right? But Ruth is Rahab's daughter-in-law. And the other person, the other woman in Jesus' genealogy 
is Rahab herself. And so a Canaanite prostitute whom God went to great lengths to save is right there in the line of Jesus. And so it is through this woman's line that the Savior came. And that's the nature of grace. It's abundant in its blessings. And so Rahab wasn't just saved from sin, but to glory as well. And all of this sovereignty and grace point us to Jesus. Can you see the grand story of the Bible that Joshua 2 points to? We're like the spies, anxious and worried because the world is a hard and dangerous place. Nothing seems to go right, even when we think we're living as wisely as we can. But in, fear, in our fear, anxiety, and hopelessness, God provided a Savior and a way forward that we could never have dreamed of. And that's Jesus. Jesus came when no one was really looking for him. And from seemingly nowhere, the idea that God himself would come to be one of us, to live the life that we ought to live, and to be our perfect substitute was so far off of the radar that it didn't even register as a possibility. And yet that's what Jesus did. He left the glory of heaven to come down and throw in with us. And when he became one of us, he delivered us from our greatest enemy, which is sin itself, from ourselves. And he did that through the cross and the resurrection. And so for us here in 2021, do you feel like things are out of control? Do you feel tired and anxious? And you're, do you wonder what in the world God is doing through all that has happened? Why have we been online for three weeks because of snow? Well, we're right there with the spies then. We have a lot of questions and very few answers. And we have just a little bit of doubt as well. Can't, we can't see how God is working together all things for the good of those who love him. But we're exactly where we ought to be. We know that because we know God is sovereign. And we also know that it is for our good because we know that God has already shown us that he is working for us. And so how do we know that? Because you're here this morning, watching online, to listen to a sermon about Jesus. He has put you on the floor, in that chair, in that house, in this area, on this particular live stream, so that you can be reminded of his love for you, of the promise of kindness and of grace in his son Jesus. And he made good on that promise. Jesus is our savior and it was all part of God's plan. It took a lot of things to get you here. Think of all the things that had to have happened in your life to show you your need for God. Think about all the factors that played into you even living in this area to even know that Potomac Hills is a place or a thing at all. Think about all the ways that the Lord has worked behind the scenes to shape you into who you are today that you might receive this message. And the kicker is that none of us deserve that. None of us have anything in us that make us commendable to God. And, you know, we often think that we're pretty good people, but when we think about it, that's all a bunch of bunk. We're petty, we're self-absorbed, and we're broken. We hurt the people that we love all the time. 
we're a mess. And thank God that grace doesn't depend on us. Thank God that the Lord loves messy people like Rahab and like you and like me. All of that always points back to God. You see, He's the one doing all of it, working in His sovereignty and His grace to draw you to Himself. And so, how should we respond to God's grace and mercy to us? With obedience and faith. The spies made their promise and asked for Rahab to continue to keep the faith, to live in obedience to the Lord. And that obedience looks to the Lord to deliver on the promise made. Joshua 2 starts with the question, Is the land ready for us to take? It turns on a rescue, and it ends with a declaration of confidence in God to do what He has promised to do. Truly, the Lord has given all the land into our hands, and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. In other words, the Lord will keep His promise to us, and that He has already started to do so. The Lord has promised to save us, to give us an inheritance as children of God, to give us Himself. The Lord will keep His promise to us, and truly He has already started to do so in Jesus. So, do you live like you have that promise? Do you actually have that promise? If you don't have that promise, that promise of life and life in abundance in Christ Jesus, I pray that today would be the day that that promise would be yours. And if today is that day, I pray that you would let me know. You can find my email on the website. Please let me know that that promise is yours. But do we live like that promise is true? Think about that. We need to pray. Father God, we often live with a bunch of questions and very few answers. And we constantly question whether or not you're working for us. But we know from Joshua 2 that you are working. We know from your son that you are working and that you have already delivered us and that you love us and that you have promised to us kindness and faithfulness and salvation. So Lord, I pray that you would remind us of these simple yet great truths, that you are in control and that you love us and that you are working things together that we might become like you and get you. And so Lord, as we continue to worship this morning and as we labor for your kingdom in this coming week, Lord, we pray that we would rest in your sovereignty and cling to your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.